Scripture reading this morning will be from Psalms, chapter 127, 3 through 5, and that can be found on page 551 in the Pew Bibles. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. We want to be an encouragement to you. There's so many good things happening this coming week. Uh, We want to tell you about a few of those in a moment and give you a reminder of one coming up even a week after that. The Community Giveaway Day, as you know, is very much underway so far as us bringing things in. There's information at the Information Center if you need to go by and pick that up. But also, there's the opportunity for you to sign up if you can help beforehand or the day of. So if you can help with that, be sure and let that be known. Also, there are invitation cards that you can take with you and invite individuals that you know that would benefit to come and receive on the giveaway day. And it'd be a wonderful way to attach a personal relationship with the opportunity for us to give, which will give us the opportunity to do the greatest good in this. So we hope uh, that you'll be prayerful about this, be involved in this, be generous in this in every way that you can. Also, this coming week will be a lot happening. Some of it will be with us and other parts of it will be us simply trying to be a good neighbor in the neighborhood. Uh, This coming week, though, we're excited about the Hispanic campaign that will take place right here. Uh, There will be uh, brothers and sisters in Christ coming from other congregations. Many of you are housing some of those individuals and helping provide food. But this week, either Wednesday through Friday and maybe even Saturday, our fellowship rooms upstairs and downstairs will be used for the campaign and the gospel meeting that will be taking place. We just want to let you know that that will be taking place here each of those days. And then outside of our facility... The Tennessee Suicide Prevention Network has asked to borrow our back lawn. And so Thursday evening at about 6 o'clock, they will be having a memorial awareness type event that they will call Never Alone. And then also on Saturday here, the animal shelter, Mount Juliet Animal Shelter, has asked to borrow our parking lot so that they can have their yard sale. And these two organizations do a lot of good in our community, and we simply want to be good neighbors. And so this is going to be a busy place as far as around the facility, uh, especially the last half of this week. And uh, we're thankful, and hopefully we can be good stewards with all that God gives us. In the midst of that, on Saturday, we'll also be setting up uh, the tent for family day. And that brings us to that announcement. We want to make sure that everybody is prayerful that you're inviting and that you're continuing to prayer in who you're going to invite for family day. Be sure and invite your family members, especially those that maybe do not attend church anywhere. Be sure and invite others that would have an interest in studying about family. You remember that there is the the uh, video that you can send if you're making an invitation online. And we'd encourage you to take advantage of that as we continue uh, our, this series, The Anatomy of the Spiritual Relationships, My Family, My Responsibility. We'll continue that next Sunday morning also. And we hope that you will be able to invite those and that you'll be able to come early, maybe park far away from the building so that those that are guests will have plenty of, of opportunities to park closer to the building. Come early to be able to greet those that you invited. Also invite them to stay for lunch. If you will, bring a dessert. And then uh, after the second service of the morning, we'll enjoy lunch together. We'll probably start serving just a little bit before second service is over. Not that we want anybody to slip out the door. But for those of you that went to the first service, 
you may come back earlier and uh, you can go ahead and be getting through the line as we dismiss. And so we look forward to that time of having a fellowship meal together. And then we also look forward to the time of coming back that evening and enjoying worship under the tent. And that has really become one of the highlights of the year for us. And we look forward to that time together. And then even though it wasn't the original plan, it's really hard sometimes to avoid peer pressure. And so tonight we're going to come back and we're going to finish the lesson tonight about 40 reasons people don't like you. I never thought you'd be so intrigued about all the reasons that people didn't like you. But uh, I, I found that we are very intrigued with that. But hey, it is good anytime we can study God's word and, and we want to be able to do that tonight. And we'll go over the, the last half of those that we brushed through very quickly last Sunday night. We'll go over those again and hopefully we really will give consideration to what is it that we can do in our life? What is it that we can do differently that perhaps God would want us to do that we could be more like God? And in that, our life can be a blessing to other people. When we think about this anatomy, the idea of digging deeper into relationships, keep in mind, we aren't talking about the shallow things that you'd expect to hear Dr. Field talk about or Oprah talk about. We're talking about the things that you wouldn't expect individuals that are looking for a strong secular relationship. We're talking about things that if you were going to build spiritual relationships where you were not just going to be a family, you're going to be a Christian family. You aren't just going to be a husband or a wife, but you're going to be a Christian husband or a wife or a Christian father or mother or, or a Christian child or a Christian grandparent. And so as we dig deeper into this, I'd like to remind you of what we've learned the last couple of weeks about anatomy of relationships if we were to dig deeper. In 1 Peter, the first chapter, we saw immediately in the beginning of the chapter is the fact that those individuals that's going to have that strong relationship, it's going to begin by understanding that we're pilgrims. The anatomy is going to be the feet and their feet that understand we're just traveling through this earth. It really changes things the way you look at yourself and the responsibility in your family if you think this earth is your home versus if you're traveling through this earth. But second, we saw the anatomy was that of faith. And notice in the seventh verse of the first chapter, it was genuine faith. And the idea in that context, it's faith that can be tested. It can go through severe suffering and it will remain firm. How powerful is it if mom and dad have displayed a faith that says it's not come and go. We're dedicated to this. And that child has seen that throughout their life. The third thing that we see in the anatomy of the family is we see the very idea that the mind is set upon holiness. And he said, it's holiness. And he said, gird up the loins of your mind, roll up the sleeves of your mind, prepare your mind to be holy in all your conduct. Now this makes a huge difference in families. When everybody in the family is the same everywhere they are, your life isn't in categories and, and you haven't dysfunctioned your life in such a way. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we used the illustration that of the individual that had short-term memory loss. And so he was never able to tie his life together. That's what happens when people live a secular life. They do things at work they would never want their children to know about. They do things on the weekend they'd never want their wife to know about. They do things at vacation that they'd never want their church to know about. And what happens is we get all of this. It's, it's a dysfunctional life. It's a life that doesn't fit and function as one. How powerful is it when mom and dad are living a holy life and everything that they are is holy in its conduct and children grow up in that environment. 
And then we talked about the purified soul out of the very end of the first chapter. The aspect that what would a man gain if he gained the whole world and he lost his own soul? God has breathed into us a soul that will live on beyond this earth. And whenever we understand that we are passing through because we have existence beyond this earth, it would change the way we prioritize our relationships. And then last week, we looked at the heart of every strong relationship, and that is submissiveness. Are we willing to submit our will to God's will? What is it that God wants me to be as a grandparent? What is it that God wants me to be as a child? or as a parent, or as a spouse. What if we can say in all of this, God's will be done? I love the story that Bill Cosby does about parenting. And of course, it's not biblical, although it makes some reference. And you know, it's something like this where, where he says, God decided to make his first children. And so the first thing he told them was don't. Don't what, God? Don't eat of that fruit. What? What fruit? That is forbidden fruit. Hey, Eve, did you know we have forbidden fruit? No. Yes, we do. No way. God says, I told you now, don't eat of it. Adam says, why, God? Because I'm your father. I told you you can't eat of it. Oh, we can't eat of it? In a few minutes, God looks over and he sees his two children having a forbidden fruit break. He thinks to himself... I wish I'd have stopped after I made the elephants, but he didn't. And so now he comes back and he says, hey, I thought that I told you not to eat of that. Why are you eating of that fruit? Uh, Adam says, Eve says, uh, I don't know. And Adam says, it's her fault. And she says, it's not. And he goes, it's too, it's not, it's too, it's not. This time God's thinking, how am I going to handle this? What am I going to do? And finally he thinks of the appropriate punishment. He says with a smile, I will give you your own children. (laughs) Now, the text that was read today tells us that's not true. When we look at this next slide, we see that the text that God tells us in Psalms 127, that children are a gift from God, that they are a part of God's heritage, if you will, that he's sharing with us. And so children are not a punishment. And And surely all of us know that that's true without even reading the scriptures. But still, let's see it from God's word. How is it that God wants us to look? I want you to think for just a moment, how would it change our lives as parents? I would think that every parent here wants to succeed in being the parent that God would want them to be towards their children. And so what is it that we should know? As we studied already this anatomy that we just reviewed a moment ago, I want you to take those various aspects of the anatomy and I'd like for you to walk with me through scripture that show parents what they need to know. Number one, what if parents viewed their job as parenting, building this relationship with their child to say, I need to do this in a way recognizing that my child is just passing through this earth. That might really change some things. Because you see, it would be easy to place emphasis on, are they going to be athletic? Are they going to be musical? What career? What education am I going to point them to? And all those things can be good. But what if we never viewed the fact, but you know, really now, as good as those things can be, they're not the most important. The most important is they're just passing through. You see, children did not begin with that mother and father. Think about this. God says they began with me. 
I gave you the child. Heritage is literally an inheritance from. God is saying when you're holding that child, that newborn, you're holding an inheritance from me. When we go back to creation, look back in Genesis, the first chapter. In Genesis, the first chapter, we see in verse 27 that, that God made us after his own image. Now notice when you drop down a little bit deeper in your Bible, in the second chapter in verse 7, we get an idea of what he means by the image. Is he talking about, well, God has two hands and two feet? And No, that's not the image that he's talking about, that he made us after his image. In the second chapter in verse 7 of Genesis, he says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And that living being there is pointing to an eternal living. In other words, a continual living being. In other words, now man has a soul. A soul that will live on throughout eternity. When we take our last breath on this earth will not be the end of our existence that we'll keep on. Perhaps all of us have thought about that from that standpoint. But if you thought about it from the time that you're holding a baby, that's true for that baby. I heard a father talk about when his firstborn was born, Brother Jerry Jenkins came by to visit him and his wife while they were in the hospital with the firstborn. And that's Philip Jenkins' grandfather. And, and uh, so the, bro- the late Brother Jerry Jenkins came by and, and uh, he visited them. And, and before he left, he said, could, could I have a prayer with you? And this father said, I'll never forget as he prayed and he said, be with this These parents, as they guide this soul that will never stop living toward eternity. And that young father said, I knew that my child had a soul. But at that moment, just to hear it said and think about, we have the responsibility to guide a soul that will never stop living. What a great responsibility. You see, David understood this very aspect of the soul. You remember when his little baby was sick? And remember he fasted? Turn over, if you will, to 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter. 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter. Remember he was, he was fasting and, and grieving, and, and then the baby died. And you remember when we skipped down to verse 23, he said, But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. You see, he understood that that this was a journey. He understood that his baby's journey on this earth was very short-lived, but the reality was still that it was a journey. Your child may live for many decades. Your child may live for 80 or or 90 years. But even if they live to be 100, it's still a journey. They're just passing through. 
And so parents would be wise to learn from the example, not that it's exactly like this for us, but it's a wonderful example to take some application from with the example of Hannah. Remember, she was barren and she wanted a child so desperately. In 1 Samuel, the first chapter in verse 11, we see her prayer to God as she prayed to God and she was begging God. Look at the, look at the latter part of this where she says, but will you give your maidservant a male child? Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And then referring to the Nazarite vow, no razor shall come to his head. And later on in that very chapter, God granted her an answer to her prayer. And the answer was, yes, I'll give you that child. And so she kept her end of the vow that she had made. And as this chapter ends down in verse 28, notice what is said there. She says, therefore, I also have lent. Some translations would even say, I've granted him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. When we think about what should be our mindset, wouldn't it be awesome if every parent here had the mindset of Hannah? They said, I recognize that this child is a gift from God and I'm going to do everything within my power to make sure that I give this child back to God. It's a cycle. It's a gift from God. We raise them, steering them toward God to give them back to God. That would change. That would change our relationship with our children. It'd be much deeper much more spiritual. Now there's another way that children are on a journey. And in this way, it would be similar in many of our secular homes also. But there's something that we ought to note about this, that we would make the best use of this also in a spiritual sense. Do you remember, still back in the beginning in Genesis, the second chapter, we have Adam and Eve and we have the first marriage. And we have the the reference to a home, and we even have a reference to children before any children are born. Look in Genesis, the second chapter, in verse 24, and notice this journey. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, what is the man doing here? It is implied that this man has grown up in this home, And this wife has grown up in this home and they're going to leave. It's the idea of forsake to relinquish rights. They are going to leave those homes. And notice, they're not going to start a sub home. They're going to start their own home. So in that sense, our children are on a journey and they're passing through our home for about 18 years, 19, 20, 21. I'm not trying to say exactly what it is. That doesn't really matter. What I am saying to you is, do you have that in your mindset? When you're raising your children, are you raising them with the mindset of the end in mind as you begin? In other words, if you had to get out a piece of paper right now, and if you've never done this as a couple, I beg you to do this as a couple. If you still have children at home, get out a piece of paper and you write a description of what you want your child. I'm not talking about a specific child. I'm talking about characteristics. If God gives you a child, what should that child look like? 
And you pick the age. If it's 18 years of age or 20 years of age or 22, however long you think they're going to be in your care, what should they look like? When they leave home, would you want them to be spiritually mature? Mature enough to stand on their faith, to have genuine faith? Would you want them to be responsible? Would you want them to have work ethic? Would you want them to be able to handle their finances? Would you want them to have social etiquette? You might list several things that you would say, that's what I want my child to be. That's what I want them to become. Now, here's the thing. If you say, well, I want them to be able to do that at 18, whenever they get ready to leave home. Here's the question. Do you start working on that at about 17 and a half years of age? And all of a sudden you've set that child up for failure. You're asking them to take a huge step that is way too big for any human being to take. What if instead you listened to what Proverbs said? And what if as parents we said we heeded the advice when we're told, train up your child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And so all of this time we're saying, you know what, if I want my child to have strong work ethic, you know, I'm going to have my five-year-old to start sweeping the kitchen floor after every supper. Why? Be a good work ethic. They'd have to learn that they have responsibility every day. You know, I'm going to teach my 12-year-old how to mow the yard. Why? Be a good work ethic. For them to see that every week they have a responsibility. And the beauty of that is there'll be a lot of weeks they don't want to do it. And that's even better because that's when you really learn responsibility. Is when you have to do what you don't like. And that's how they'll make it whenever they step out into that first college class that they don't like. And instead of dropping it, they stick with it because they've been trained to be responsible since they were young. They stick with that first job that they don't like and they get beyond that entry level and they get to levels that they like, but they stuck with it because they've been trained. You see, the reality is... If we as parents have done ourselves our job right, and I'm not saying this is easy, but if we've done our job right, that final step of them leaving home is just a little bitty step. It's just one more little step that was the final step of them leaving because we've been preparing them to leave since the day we brought them home from the hospital. You see, we make some terrible mistakes whenever we raise children as if They're ours, not God's, and they're ours to keep in our home. When the reality is there's not really another relationship like the parent-child relationship on earth where literally they are in our lives for us to prepare them to leave our care. What else can we learn about this anatomy? I'd like for you to be turning to 2 Timothy, the first chapter, and as you're turning there, I'd like for us to think about The second part of the anatomy that we learned about in 1 Peter was the anatomy of faith. And remember that faith was genuine. Timothy is probably the best example that we have of this in the scriptures where not only we see his example of faith, but we also see it spoken about that he had that genuine faith. Now, do you remember where that genuine faith was rooted, where it was conditioned, if you will, in his life? Look at 2 Timothy 1 and 5. When I call to remembrance... The genuine faith, this is Paul talking to Timothy. He says, I'm remembering this genuine faith. It is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in you also. Isn't that a beautiful thing there? He says, you know what, Timothy? 
You're living out what you saw demonstrated every day of your life. Timothy was blessed. He had a mother who was faithful and he had a grandmother who was faithful. And we read in Acts the 16th chapter, he had a church around him that not only was a faithful congregation, but faithfully supported him. They invested in his life and they spoke well of him. And he was fortunate that later he met a missionary named Paul that literally said, I want, that's beautiful, I want him to come on this missionary journey with me. Here was a young man that was surrounded by people that had genuine faith. And now Paul writes, as now he's a man, he's a young man, but now he's a man. And he says, you know why I know your faith is genuine? I saw your faith developing when you were a child. I saw the faith that the people around you had. Well, how do you transfer that faith? It's not enough to just say, we want to give you an environment around you that's faithful, but turn over a few more pages. Look at 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3, this literally speaks to his youth. This is what he experienced when he was in that environment of faithfulness that surrounded him. 2 Timothy 3 and 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. We've already mentioned where he has learned that. Now notice in verse 15, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Remember Romans 10 and 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He was surrounded by faithful people. And what did those faithful people do? They taught that little boy the scriptures. And he was able to take the scriptures and develop his own faith. I spoke recently with, not from here, but with a young woman who was in her late 20s. She said, I grew up heavily involved in Bible Bow. I'm so thankful for the church where I grew up and what they taught me said, I learned so much about the Bible. She said, I'm ashamed to say that it's taken me to my mid to late 20s to figure out how to take that knowledge and really transfer it into a real and a living faith. Moms and dads, you want to give your child a blessing. You help them learn genuine faith by showing it to them, then by teaching them the scriptures And as you're teaching the scriptures, make sure that they realize it's not an academic exercise. That you're teaching them the scriptures because those scriptures are the way we live. Let it be what you talk about as Deuteronomy talks about. Let it be what you talk about when you get up in the morning and when you walk along your way and when you sit at your house at night and when you go to bed at night. Talk with your children about why you do this or why somebody else does that or why we don't do that. And let the Word of God be a natural resource that is the dialogue of everything you are. Genuine faith is deep into the anatomy of strong parent-child relationships. Where that child, by the time they're leaving home, I'm not saying they don't have room to grow. We all have room to grow. But by the time they're leaving home, they're not leaving home with your faith. They appreciate your faith. And they appreciate all that you've shared with them. But they're leaving home with their own genuine faith. But third, notice the mind. Notice the holy mind. You remember in 1 Peter first chapter in 13 through 15, it was that mind that was set on holiness in all conduct. 
Well, what would that conduct look like? In 1 Timothy 4 and 11, notice how Timothy was being talked to by Paul again. And he says, these things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth. Now notice this high standard. Notice God doesn't give a double standard that that teenagers and young 20-somethings can live an ungodly life. And God just expects that. That is so far from true. Here's the way God expects parents to raise their children. He expects them to raise them with a mindset that is prepared to live a holy life throughout life. Let no one despise your youth. Be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to the reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. In verse 15, he talks to him about using his gift and getting zealous about it. In 16, he talks to him about meditating, take and learn the word of God and meditate and see how you're going to apply it to your life. And in the following, in the last verse, he teaches him to take heed to his own life, to his own doctrine, to his own soul, so that he could save his own soul and also the souls of others. What if that expectation was placed upon children in every home that's represented here? What if the expectation is there is no double standard? What you're expected to be is holy, holy in all of your conduct, everywhere that you are. You have seen it demonstrated in the lives of your parents. You've seen it demonstrated in your church family's life. That is what God is expecting. And think of the powerful, powerful example that that would be. Soon we will do a lesson that pertains more to this with the generation of those that are just leaving high school and and going into their 20s. Recently, the elders and the ministers uh, had a long discussion about this. I'd like to just go ahead and show you one slide out of this. When we think about the retention rate and studies, a lot of studies have been done as to why there are so many that the age of 19 through 29 that leave the faith. There are several things that studies have revealed that determines the retention rate of young people of that age. In other words, they grow up in the church. Why do they leave the church? They grow up in faith. Why do they leave faith? And this was one of the revealing statistics about the power that you have as parents. Don't read this as bad news. This is good news. You can do something about this one. When parents attend regularly, and it has to be both of these, And have a specific work assignment at the church. In other words, they're always there in attendance and they are committed. In other words, the son can can say, yeah, my dad, he drives vans whenever there's needs and and mom teaches in the nursery. Or or, yeah, mom works with Meals on Wheels and, and dad's a Bible class teacher. When they're, because what that's doing, it's revealing commitment. They're always there. They're always involved in the work of the church. We talk about these high dropout rates and how hard culture is on society and we're just losing them left and right. When both parents are fully committed, it's an 80% retention rate. Sure, we want the other 20%. But this idea that half of them are being lost and we don't know why, when both parents are faithful, we know that's what makes the difference. When only one parent is faithful, the retention rate studies revealed that half of those children are lost. And when when we say faithful, that means like both parents may come to church, but only one is committed and only one is committed to the work. Or even on the third one, when neither is fully committed, both parents may come to church, but both are not or neither of them are fully committed. 
we lose three-fourths of those kids. Where did Timothy fall into this? Timothy fell into that middle category, except, you know what, he had a lot of help from his mother. We don't know anything about Timothy's father's faith. We assume that since he was Greek, he probably wasn't faithful. But he did have a mother. And then he had a church family. And then he had a missionary that invested in him. And you see, that's the power of a faithful church family that can surround families and make a powerful difference. But the good news is, deep in the anatomy, when someone says, more than anything, I just want my child to be faithful, keep in mind, your child will most likely walk to the same level of faith and commitment that you have. Also, we think about submissiveness. Time won't allow us to go over this, but I'd like for you just to see there in 1 Samuel, the third chapter, verse 13, Eli, God rebuked through Samuel, Eli, severely. And the reason he rebuked him was he said that he did not restrain his sons. His sons were wicked. And God looked at Eli and said, you didn't restrain them. The idea of restrain there is to break their will. It's important for parents to break the will of their children without breaking the spirit of their children. The first thing children must learn is submissiveness. A toddler needs to learn that they cannot have their way, and there should not be any apology for that, because the very fact is, if we're setting them up for success, on this next slide, we see the only way that we can become a Christian. When we look, let's look at the next one, in Matthew, the 16th chapter, notice in 24, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? You're going to have to break your will. It's not you and what you want to do. It's saying, Lord, I'll be submissive to you. Lord, servant, I'll deny myself. Children that have been raised with the end in mind, it is easy for them to begin that submissive relationship with the Lord because they have been taught that submissive relationship as long as they have been alive. So as we look deeper into the anatomy of strong spiritual families, we see the kind of feet. We see that we recognize we're just traveling through and we teach our children that. We see the faith. It's a genuine faith and they're raised in that environment and they're raised with that in mind that they'll develop their own. They're raised with a mind that's set on holiness and it isn't categorized. It is brought into holiness in everything that they do. We see the soul wants to be pure. God's will be done. We see the will, submissiveness. They're going to obey their parents. The one command that God gave children, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You and I have a tremendous blessing. God has invited us into His family. In that, He teaches us a lot about the way a father or mother should be, as He is the perfect family. He's the perfect father. I hope we take seriously our task and that it's not just a secular task to us, that it really is a spiritual task. I hope we'll dig deep. I hope we really, really will make a difference in our lives and the eternity of our children. If we can help you this morning in any way, 
If you're not a part of God's family and you want to be adopted into His family, if you're a believer willing to repent, confess sins, and you're ready to be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins, we'd love to see that birth take place. Maybe you've begun that journey and along the way you've lost the way and you'd like to come back to the Lord. He is the Father that's looking down the road ready to welcome you. Whatever way that we could help you, we'd love to do so. Come as we stand and as we sing.